Man, I just think that is just so, so compelling. And, uh, you know, here we are in the holiday season, and we kind of think about these things. We think about two things a lot. We think about, uh, we think about a lot about money right now, and then also we have to think about our weight. I don't know about you guys, but, man, I, I eat like a Viking over Thanksgiving. I really did. I was eating a lot. And it's ironic, you know, isn't it, over the uh, holiday season that you're eating so much high-calorie food, and you really need to go work out, but you get so busy, and you just kind of forget. And I can't believe it, man. I, I totally forgot to go to the gym last Last week, you know, and that's that's 33 weeks in a row now that I've forgotten to go to the gym. I, you know, and you get to be in your 50s and you work twice as hard for half as much, and it really, really is tough. I read the other day about a guy that was in his 50s. He's kind of going through a midlife, and he made a lot of money. And he bought a new Mercedes convertible, some really expensive clothes. He got himself a new Rolex and some really expensive Ray-Ban sunglasses. And he drives up to this gym, and everybody sees him. He's like, "Wow, you know, with the car and the glasses and the brand new workout clothes. They said, they said, man, who is that? And he walks in the door. He walks up to one of the personal trainers and he says, hey, there's a 25-year-old woman I want to impress. What machine should I use? And he said, well, sir, at your age and the shape you're in, I would suggest the ATM. It's right outside in the parking lot. <laughs> right? But, you know, we want to be healthy in some area of our life. We have to have certain habits that we develop in that area of our lives. So I want to be physically fit. I have to develop habits around things like exercise and rest and food intake. If I want to have a happy and healthy marriage, I have to develop habits around communication and time management and things like that. Today, five essential habits for financial fitness. We're finishing up this series called A Vision of Generosity. I really love the way the Rooted video put it, that we want to have a legacy left behind us. And isn't that so true? You want to leave something behind you for the generations to follow after you so that your family name can continue to build in wealth and prosperity. Now, if you're a first-time guest, you might be thinking, man, I knew it. You know, uh, every time you go to church, all they want is your money. Actually, we talk about money one time a year, and we have a huge motivation for doing so. You know, we, we try to get in shape physically because we want to be stronger. And that is exactly the reason we talk about these issues one time a year, because we want you to be stronger. We truly do. You know, Jesus said more about money and possessions than any other topic that he spoke about, including heaven or hell. And of the 37 parables that Jesus told, 17 of them have to do with money and possessions being used wisely. And all the Bible authors, you know, the Apostle Paul, Solomon, Job, etc., etc., all the Bible authors spend more time talking about money than any other topic. The Apostle Paul said this, talking about the danger of mismanaging money. He said this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, he says. And some people eager for money, passionate about money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at that word pierced. It's actually a metaphor in ancient times for Torturing someone's soul. Torturing your soul with things like fear, worry, and anxiety. I know you've probably heard this, but the number one cause for divorce in America is disagreement over finances. 
Isn't that incredible? Some experts estimate that nine out of every 10 divorces in America are precipitated by some kind of financial stress or disagreement. This is a statistic that I've shared with you before, but it's just, to me, it's so compelling that a couple that has $10,000 in debt, but no savings compared to a couple with no debt, but $10,000 in savings, the couple on the left is, go, is two times more likely to divorce than the couple that's on the right. Isn't that alarming? That is so alarming. And so studies show the size of a couple's income has no bearing on the amount of conflict that they have over finances. Like you saw in the video, uh, people who have more than $5 million, they still worry about money. Couples with a high income divorce over finances just as frequently as couples with modest incomes. Look at Hollywood, right? And when you read all the Bible has to say about money management, you see this, you see this portrait. You see a vision of a life well lived. The kind of life that's going to leave a legacy behind. And that is the kind of life that we want for you. It's a vision of life that's strong and powerful, peaceful, and also influential for many, many years behind you, all right? So what's the first step in financial fitness? Now, there could be more, but I just chose five that I think are the most important that you see repeated in your Bible over and over and over again. And the first one is this, it's seeing God as your source. First Chronicles chapter 29, look at verses one through five, one through five. David is working here on the building of the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. And he says this to the people he's gathered together in a massive assembly. Now, keeping in mind that King David was arguably the greatest world leader, uh, greatest leader the world has ever known. And when he ruled Israel, Israel was the world's greatest superpower at that time. And he accumulated staggering riches. And he's beginning the process of the great ambition of his life. He wants to build a temple for the worship of the God that he loves so much. And David told the people, he's going to tell the people, he used all of his strength to accumulate all that he could for the building of a majestic and marvelous temple for the Lord. So chapter 29, verses 1 through 5. He said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. And with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stone and marble, and all of these in large quantities. quantities. And besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building and for the gold and the silver work for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Do you see what David is saying? Yes, as king, I have worked hard and diligently so that the levers of government have been working, trying to accumulate as much as possible. But here I am. I'm going to give my own treasures to this project. 
And he donated that day 115 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver, countless tons of marble, and we don't know how many precious stones that he donated as well. And then he asked everyone else to bring their stone, their offerings to the building of the temple. And again, the people came and they contributed many, many more tons of gold and silver and iron and bronze and precious stones. And David was overwhelmed at all that the people gave. But he wasn't just overwhelmed at the the people and what they gave. It was, it was how they gave, what made it possible for them to give. And so look here at verse 10, verses 10 through 14. And when they, after the people had given... It says, David rejoiced greatly. And it says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Look at verse 14. Who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. I think I mentioned this one time before, but I remember once when Brady was small, my younger son, Brady, and uh, our, our tithe check was sitting out on the kitchen counter. And Brady came by and he looked at it. He was old enough at that point to kind of know what a big number was. He looked at it and I could just kind of tell you, his eyes kind of popped open. And I'm not saying that to boast at all, but I took this as a teachable moment. And I said, Brady, I said, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, that's... Seems like a lot of money. <laughs> and I said, yes, yeah, son, it is. It really is, you know, for us, you know, in our budget. I said, but you know, um, I, I can remember sitting at the dinner table uh, with almost no food to eat. And I can remember all those years when my family was struggling so, so much. And here we are. We have this, the Lord takes great, great care of us. We have an amazing church family that, loves us and cares for us and is so generous to us in so many different ways. God has provided for us in incredible ways. And so I just said, Brady, I'm, I just want you to know that we are happy to take that amount of money every two weeks and give it back to God because he's a source of everything that we have. And he totally understood, totally understood that. See, the Bible is very clear that you and I don't really own anything that everything has been loaned to us because God owns it all. In Psalm chapter 50, the Lord says, Everything, every creature in the forest, even the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Everything that moves in the fields is mine. And the world and all it contains is mine. And so everything you have and everything I have is just loaned to us for 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years if the Lord, if the Lord allows. But it all came from God. It all belongs to God. And it's all going to go back to God someday. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 Moses said this, Be careful you don't forget the Lord your God. When your herds and your flocks grow large, your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, you may say to yourself, My power 
The strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And ladies and gentlemen, I just got to tell you that that is, well, that is the backbone. That is the meat of so much of the conservative message. And I know we live in a very conservative area, but we don't need to let Ayn Rand inform what it means about our politics and things like that. No, what we believe as Christians is that God is the source of all our wealth. We don't just like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and things like that. No, God is the one who has blessed us and built things for us and and given to us. Yes, we all work hard, absolutely. God rewards a great work ethic. Yes, absolutely. But we have to always remember God is our source. And this is, oh, he says, but remember the Lord your God, it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. This is the starting point of financial fitness and financial strength. Remembering that God is the source of all of my supply. My source is not my salary. My source is not my savings. My source is not my retirement. My source is not the economy. My my source is not the government. My source, my security, my satisfaction is God and God alone. And if you put your security in your salary, you can lose your salary. If you put your security in your savings, you can lose your savings. If you put your security in your government, you can lose your government. You can lose all those things. This is why Job said in Job chapter 31, he said this, If I have put my confidence in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced because of the extent of my wealth or because of the great wealth my hand had gained, then this also would be iniquity to be judged for I would have been false. To God above. We have to see this, number one, that God is the source of all of our supply. All right? But number two, if you want to have true financial strength, financial fitness, you have to tap into the power of planning. This is all through the book of Proverbs, all right? Uh, Solomon, the wealthiest man who's ever lived, talks so much about the power of planning, all right? Uh, I don't know if you might remember a guy named Michael Vick. He used to play quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. He made $70 million uh, playing football for the Atlanta Falcons. And he started a dogfighting ring, and he ended up going to jail for uh, that crime of dogfighting. And that was about 14 years ago. And when he went to jail, listen to this. He made $70 million. When he went to jail, he was $18 million in debt. All right. So even if you have $70 million, it's just not quite enough. And so Tony Dungy, I know a lot of you guys have heard of him. He decided to go and visit Michael in prison. And he began to disciple him. He led him to Christ. And when he got out of prison, uh, Michael Vick chose to pay back all of his debts and work with his creditors instead of declaring bankruptcy, which is very, very admirable. Well, how do you pay a debt of $18 million? And said, and his, these are his words. He said, I began to pay attention to every dollar that came through my hands. He gave himself a budget. And his budget was only $300,000 a year. Bless his heart. Okay. <laughs> but it was a tough time for him and his family. It really was. But he managed to become debt-free. His net worth today is in the neighborhood of $20 million. Ladies and gentlemen, that's almost a $40 million flip. It's incredible. How did it happen? He tapped into the power of planning. We've all been there. 
and you're walking to the store and you see the baby Yoda Christmas decoration, like, oh, I've got to have that, okay? Or you're walking through Sam's, like, a, I mean, there's this 15 pound bottle of jalapeno peppers and it's on sale. I've got to have it, you know? And you, you, know, you don't, nobody's ever going to use 15 pounds of jalapeno peppers, but I've got to have it because it's such a good deal. Now, what happens is most people don't have a spending plan. You spend whatever, and you spend it whenever, and you, when they wonder, wherever did it go? All right? And when this happens, we fall victim to impulse buying. And impulse buying is very, very powerful. My wife has to help me with this every day. All right? Uh, retail industry research shows that impulse buying accounts for up to 80% of Americans' purchases. At least half, maybe up to 80%. More than 50% of all sales in the grocery stores are impulse sales. They are unplanned purchases. Look at this, Proverbs 21.20. Wise people's houses are full of precious treasure and oil, but fools consume everything they have. The only way to rise above the madness of impulse buying, and by the way, uh, retailers work to try to influence you to buy things impulsively. And the only way to rise above it is to have a plan, a spending plan. It's called a budget. And if you want to be financially healthy and strong, you have to make your money behave the way you want it to. A budget is taking charge of every dollar and then giving that dollar a destination, telling it where to go. Proverbs eleven sixteen says, A gracious woman retains honor, and strong men retain riches. It takes strength to live on a budget. It takes strength to have a spending plan. And contrary to popular opinion, having a budget is not living without. It is living within, within the boundaries of the resources that God has trusted you with. And God tells you and me, we need to have a well-thought-out plan when it comes to our money. A budget will protect your money, it will prioritize your needs, and it also prospers your wealth, your legacy. It prospers your household. Proverbs 21.5 says, the, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. We're living in a day of record inflation, political uncertainty. Everyone is scared right now. No one feels in control, and you can't control everything coming at you, but you can control everything going away from you. And when you have a plan, you have a sense of control over your money and over your life. The third one, uh, yeah, the third one is this, is gaining by giving. Gaining by giving. There may be some of y'all here that, you know, sometime in the past, you're like, I mean, I got to work out. I got to gain. I got to gain, you know, and I've been there before. But gaining by giving. Sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? It really does. Think about how often we say things that don't make sense together. You know, like, that's awfully good, you know. Or it's a definite maybe. Or the weather is pretty ugly, you know. We say that all the time. I heard that one time Dolly Parton said, it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. Okay? She said that one time. You know, Jesus often said things that were paradoxes. He would say things like this. If you want to really live, you're going to have to die. If you want to be first... You're going to have to be last. If you want to be honored, you're going to have to be humbled. And the same dynamic is true when it comes to your financial strength and health. 
There's a paradox. There's this unexpected, unexplainable reality. And that is to gain, you have to give. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Man, what an amazing picture. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled completely and your vats will overflow with new wine. That word honor there, by the way, in the original uh, language is the word kabed. The word glory is the word kabod. So they're very, very closely related. And so this almost like he's saying, glorify the Lord from your wealth. And here it's in the imperative. It functions as a command. It's an instruction from a father to his son. And Solomon's promise to his son is this, that when you glorify the Lord with your giving, that God is going to honor you in return. Honor the Lord, he will honor you. Which is exactly what 1 Samuel 2.30 says. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. Those who honor me, I will honor. Now look at that word first fruits in that verse too. Give the first and best of the portion of your income to the Lord. You know, if we're being honest, giving the first fruits of your income to the Lord, well, that's hard. Very few people do that. You pay the bills, you might put some in savings, buy the things you want. If you have something left over, you might give something to God. But look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said this, he said, now about the collection of money. So even going back 2,000 years, all right, there was a collection of money within the church. Do the same as I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should take some of your money, put it in a special place, save as much as you can from what you are blessed with. So what's Paul saying? He's saying every week, this needs to be a part of your spending plan, a part of your lifestyle. It's a spiritual discipline, this discipline of giving. Why? Because when you give, paradoxically, supernaturally, you gain. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord said this to the prophet Malachi, Try this. Test. Bring one-tenth of your things to me. Put them in the treasury. Bring food to my house. Test me. If you do these things, I will surely bless you. Good things will come to you like rain falling from the sky. You will have more than enough of everything, and I will not let pests destroy your crops, and all your grapevines will produce grapes. Yes, what does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed means to be shielded from the, the curse of sin. And in this case, it's the, it's the pests and the diseases that would strike your crops to be shielded from destruction and decay. And if the Israelites, God is saying, if you'll give 10% of your income to the Lord, that means God is going to bless the other 90%. And supernaturally, something's going to happen. That 90% that you're living on, because it's blessed, it's going to be more than the 100% you might have kept for yourself. Because if you keep 100% for yourself, you say, I'm going to live on 100% and zero goes to the Lord, then that is just left under the curse of sin. And here comes the devourer, okay? The forces of destruction and decay and entropy are going to strike the things that you have. And so even though you might have kept more for yourself, you're going to have less to live on. And so one of the keys to financial fitness is to build into your spending plan generosity. Because when you build in generosity and you're giving to the work God is doing in the world and you want to glorify God, you want to honor God by giving, then you can expect to see gain. You can expect to see your, your, you know, you don't see the futility of like, I just feel like I'm a hamster on a wheel, just going and going, getting nowhere. Yes, you're going to see yourself begin to gain. Another one is to strengthen yourself by saving. 
Strengthen yourself by saving. You know, John Rockefeller, he was the first mega millionaire in American history. A reporter asked him one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how did you become a mega millionaire? He said, it's the 10-10-80 principle. I tithe the first 10%. He was a committed Christian. He said, I save the second 10%, and then I live on 80%. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, if you're worth billions of dollars, yeah, that's easy to do. You know, John Rockefeller actually started off in very, very humble, from a very humble beginning. His father was a salesman, and he got a job as a clerk, as an accountant for a small, uh, for a small business. But he always lived by the 10-10-80 principle. Give 10 to God, give 10 to yourself, and live on 80. And so in the time that he was a young man, someone out in Titusville, Pennsylvania, started drilling down and discovered this new thing underground called oil. So John Rockefeller, because he had been living this way, even at very, very humble means, he had savings. And so he and some friends got together and they pooled their savings and they started this little company called Standard Oil. This new thing that was happening called oil. And then over time, he continued to live out 10, 10, 80. And over time, he began to accumulate wealth and he bought Standard Oil And he died in 1937 with a net worth of $1.5 billion. In today's terms, it would be $300 billion. He would have two times the worth of Elon Musk if he were alive today. The wealthiest American in history. You know, the average Japanese citizen saves 25% of their income. The average European citizen saves 15% of their income. The average American citizen spends 1% more than their income. The savings rate last month was the lowest since 2005, and it was the second lowest on record. Two-thirds of Americans right now have less than $1,000 in savings. Eight out of every 10 Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Living without savings, without any monetary margin, is a huge stress on your marriage, on your body, and because of the anxiety. And so the Bible teaches us over and over again, you pay God first, pay yourself second, and then you pay others. You know, your bills, your luxuries, your necessities, all those other things. You give, you save, then you live. Proverbs chapter 6 You should watch what the ants do and learn from them. Ants have no ruler, no boss, and no leader. But in the summer, ants gather all their food and save it. So when the winter comes, there's plenty. Winter is a metaphor for a time of hardship, a time of lack. There will be times in all of our lives when winter does come. A major medical issue is a legal problem, a major car issue, even sometimes the little things like the washing machine breaks down, the hot water heater goes out, etc., etc. And God tells us we are to set aside part of our present income for the inevitable time in the future when our needs will exceed our resources. Proverbs 10:15 says, "The wealth of the rich is their fortress, and the poverty of the poor is their destruction." You see, a lack of savings causes people to go into debt for even some minor emergencies. They have to turn to their credit cards, and the credit cards become a plastic crutch. And what you want to do is you want to create an emergency fund for yourself. Start the saving habit 
Make this in, put this into your plan, all right? Every week to set aside a little bit of money to build up an emergency fund so that when the winter time does come, that you'll be ready for it and you won't have to have a plastic crutch to handle it. And you might be saying, man, unless there's no way I can save. I, I, I can't make ends meet now. I would just say, sell something, uh, stop doing something, stop buying something. You know, like for me, it'd be Pack-A-Sack tea. If I needed an emergency fund right now, I go to Pack-A-Sack every day and I drop $1.40 on tea every day. That's probably like $35, $40 a month, something like that. All right. But you know, drop something and get it. Uh, get a little side hustle if you have to, but start saving money and build up an emergency fund. This is God, one of God's habits for financial fitness. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers it little by little will become rich. By the way, that's the life verse for the Bitcoin industry right there, okay? (laughs) Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, all right? But think about that. Why do they become rich? Because they have something to fall back on when winter comes, all right? Putting all these five things together. The last one is this. You know, if you're going to be, you know, get fit, you have to have some determination, all right? And there's a determination here. It's the determination to get out of debt. Bob Hope once said this, a bank is a place that will loan you money as long as you can prove you don't really need it, all right? And that's really true. I'm so concerned, though. I want you to see this graph I saw a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was preparing for this series, and I saw this, and it just alarmed me so much. Credit card balances surged to their highest rate in 20 years this past year. Credit card balances increased 15% this last year to $913 billion, which is more than we had during the Great Recession of 2008. And by, and, but the difference is that now the interest rates have gone up so much. And so the average interest rate on new credit cards is up to 18%. And that's just the credit cards, not the consumer debt, automobile loans, payday loans, furniture loans, et cetera, et cetera. There are three things the Bible wants you to know about debt. All right. Number one is this. It's very deceptive. It's very deceptive. We like to use the term borrowing money because it sounds so fraternal. I mean, that's what friends do, right? I go to my neighbor's house and I say, hey, Gary, can I borrow a shovel? And he says, yeah, that'll be a dollar. Oh, okay. So I give him a dollar. I take his shovel. I didn't borrow it, did I? I rented it. I take out my Visa card, I make a $200 purchase at 18% interest. That $200 purchase cost me $236. So I didn't borrow that money from Bank of America. I rented that money from Bank of America. And it's so incredibly easy to go into debt, isn't it? And, and, and so many companies are so aggressively pushing it, you know, pushing this product of, of rented money. You know, we get mail all the time. Rent money from us, all right? We'll let you do it. We'll help you do it. And borrowed money or rented money, it gives you the sensation of power, but then it turns on you and it uses that power over you, which is why the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Which brings us to the next thing is that the Bible is very clear that debt is so debilitating. God's word is a consistent message all the way through that debt robs the borrower of their freedom and it drains the power out of the borrower's life. So ladies and gentlemen, your power is in your pockets. And when you give that power away to other people, you give what's in your pockets to other people, you're also giving away your power. 
Moses warned the Israelites of this in Deuteronomy 28. He said, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God, and do not obey all the commands I'm giving you today. All these curses are going to come upon you. They're going to overwhelm you. And he says, something's going to happen to you. The foreigners living among you will become stronger and stronger while you become weaker and weaker. Man, I read that and I think about our national debt, most of it held by Japan and China. Wow. They will lend money to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head and you will be the tail. You see, when you're in debt, the first priority of every bit of income you have has to be paying down the interest on that debt. And things like giving and saving and gifts, investing, even taxes, all those things have to take second place to paying back that debt and you lose your freedom of choice when that happens. And the third thing is this, is that the Bible says debt can disappear. It can disappear. You know, America's financial system is like the matrix and you and I are the batteries, okay? But hey, listen, you don't have to take the red pill, okay? You can take the blue pill and it's tough, all right? But you can leave the matrix. Mr. Smith can't keep you there, all right? Proverbs 6 says this, My son, don't make yourself responsible for the debt of others. You'll be under the power of other people. You must go and free yourself. Beg them to free you from that debt. Don't wait, rest, or sleep. Escape from that trap like a deer running from a hunter. It's like, son, you, you, you've got to get away from this. You've got to get out of it. You've got to get passionate about this because this is eating you alive. It's robbing you of your freedom. So get passionate, get a plan, determine to live on 80%, and then begin to attack your debt one debt at a time. Pay off the credit card with the, with the smallest balance, with the highest interest rate, all right, the biggest balance. Whatever you've got to do, all right, you do that, but begin to get yourself out of debt. What you don't want to do, though, is you don't want uh, a, you know, paralysis by analysis, you know, trying to sit around and figure out how am I going to do it, when am I going to do it, what am I going to do? No, you let passion overrule paralysis, all right? Let that, you just become passionate about it. That's what the Bible is saying. You know, like a deer escaping from a trap, you've got to get passionate about this, you want to be free. You want to be free because debt is debilitating and it is so deceptive. All right? And ladies and gentlemen, those are the five habits of financial freedom. And there's this portrait you see in your Bible over and over again that when people begin to, to live this way, uh, think this way, approach life this way, that there's a, there's a strength about their life. There's an influence about their life. And, and things happen by them and around them and for them and after them that make such a difference in this world. Here's what I want to do this morning as we leave. I'm going to put up the five habits on the screen. I just want to ask you to think quietly about them for a couple of minutes. This is probably like the only two minutes you might have this week to think about your life. I want you to think about these five habits. I want you to say, Lord, which, which of these five do I need to build into my workout routine? You know, my, my, my life workout routine. Lord, which of these five do I need to build into that routine? It might surprise you. You might be thinking, oh, it's dead. It's dead. But the Spirit might say, you know what? It's, you need to see me as your source. You know, if you know you need to work on an area of your financial health, I would just ask you to just put that before the Lord this morning. Really think about it. Pause and pray. Ask the Lord to give you all you need to grow and to gain in that area 
of your life because it is a beautiful portrait of somebody who has financial health and financial strength when you live this way. All right. Let me uh, pray for us this morning. Let's bow our heads together. Yeah. You know, I know this morning that it's just kind of a, a practical message. But again, the motivation entirely is for your strength, for you to be blessed, for you to be blessed. And so I just want to ask you to go before the Lord this morning and just thinking about those five things. Lord, what is it for me? What is it for me? And then also this morning, if, if I could pray for you in, in any way about anything this morning, we're going to sing one more song and we're going to go, uh, you know, and, and we're going to praise the Lord this morning. But before we do that, as we're doing that, if I could pray for you in any way, I'd be so honored and so humbled. I'll be here at the front and I'd be so honored to pray with you about anything the Lord might be uh, leading you to want to speak to someone about, anything you might be struggling with. And so I just want to go before the Lord this morning on your behalf. And Father, we love you so much. We just thank you so much for everything that you've given us. And truly, Lord, you are the source of everything. And Lord, it's not just our finances, Lord, it's our very soul. It's our heart. It's our families. It's our homes. It's everything, Father. And so we just come before you today as the source of all. But ultimately, Father, you're the source of our salvation. And we just thank you, Father, that you have loved us so deeply and so dearly, Lord, that you might save us and grow us and even lead us into the truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that for all of us here today, Father, that you would just lead us to your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name.